Alright, I was told we needed some intro music and that's all I got because I don't have anything else that wouldn't be copyright problems. So, welcome to Season 1, Episode 10, the final episode in Season 1 of the Strength Empire Podcast, focusing on strength athletes. And those are athletes that have excelled in multiple disciplines of strength sports. And as I've said before, that's bodybuilding, powerlifting, weightlifting, strongman, Highland Games, CrossFit, kind of whatever fits that mold. So, uh, before we dive into the episode description, as this is the final one, we are going to come back with Season 2 sometime soon. So don't worry, you're not going to have to wait a year, hopefully not very many months. And if you want, there's going to be some polls on the Strength Empire podcast Instagram to help select our new podcast season focus. So make sure you go over to Instagram, follow the podcast at Strength Empire Podcast. Follow the gym at Strength Empire Gym. You can keep up with what's going on right now as we get through this coronavirus mess. So for today's guest, I'm really excited how this episode turned out. We have Elite FTS team member Julia Anto. And if you don't know what Elite FTS team member is, in powerlifting, it is something very highly looked upon, very highly sought after, really hard to be a part of that. So it's really exciting to have her on and to learn from her experiences in the different strength sports. And I felt like I'd known her for a very long time just through our conversation today. Couldn't have thought of a better one to end out this season. So I hope you enjoy it and get a lot out of it. This is Julia Anto. So welcome, Julia. Thank you for joining me on the Strength Empire podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, so if you will, but we obviously, with this podcast, I've tried to talk to different strength athletes. And this, you are the final athlete in my strength athlete season. And that being people who've done multiple disciplines of strength sports, however you want to define that. And you're the final one. And I'm excited because we got another geared powerlifter on the podcast, and that's what it's turned into. This this first go round is a lot of geared powerlifters, but um, if you would take me through your kind of journey, let's do like a quick like two minute snapshot of your strength sport yep. journey, and then we'll kind of go from there and go back and talk kind of how you've changed your training over the years. Yeah, um, I mean, I started lifting in high school. In college, I got involved in actual powerlifting, and I'm dating myself. That was back in 2001, 2002. <laughs> um, we were, uh, our college team was a USAPL team. So while we used gear, it was like floppy single ply stuff. So um, I did that for a couple years and then gradually evolved into multiply. Um, that's when 2001, 2002 is when I also was introduced to Dave Tate and the guys at Westside, trained out there on and off a little bit. So that was kind of really what sparked the multiply lifting. Uh, multiply lifted from 03 till um, 2015. So 12 years of multiply, pretty much straight. Didn't do anything other than that. And then um, uh, 2013, 14, and 15, I went back and forth between bodybuilding and multiply lifting. And then 2015, I kind of hung up my squat suit, so to speak, and uh, have been since then doing mostly raw lifting mixed in with some bodybuilding and uh, and physique work. So, okay. yeah. So awesome. And what's awesome, and, and I've had a couple other guests on that I love, is I've talked to such a wide realm, and this is really fun, is I've got some kids that are 24 years old that are already well-versed in multiple strength sport disciplines, but I love to hear that you did this over a, a very extended period of time. And that is one that I've learned to define your strength sport success 
as mm-hmm. a, a longevity in any discipline of strength sports. Um, so let's talk, let's go back to the beginning and talk about, you said kind of college is where it really started to take off. Or did you do any sports in high school that led you into this stuff? Um, I did sports. I played volleyball. I ran track, but I had to take a PE course. And after you've done your, you know, basic gym class, um, I needed to fill credits and the football coach was having a weightlifting class. So I took that for a couple of years and that's kind of really where it all started. Um, so that was the initial. And then yeah. where did, where did you get into, where did you go to college where you had an actual team? So I started off at a small school, Anderson University in, in central Indiana, and I that's when I really was reading like fitness magazines and kind of started to get introduced to powerlifting, but Ball State University was where oh, we had an okay. actual That's yeah, what I thought. Power, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I could name, we had, uh, if you're familiar, Mike Robertson, we had Matt Wenning, we had a couple other guys that were um, on our team at that time. So I was really fortunate enough at that time to be brought up with you know, some pretty smart individuals, Justin Cecil, who was the guy who was running our program at the time. So when I transferred schools there, I was going for exercise science and I was like, oh, that's cool. They have a powerlifting team. I'll join. And that's Ball State is one of those, for people that don't know, Ball State is one of those, like one of the powerhouses in exercise science slash powerlifting fields. It's been that way for forever. We had a guy, I went to Appalachian State and uh, I don't know if you possibly knew Pat Schaefer. He was probably a little after your time. Pat, 308-pound geared powerlifter, comes from Ball State down to App State. Um, so I trained with Pat. He was part of the group that I started learning from back then as well. Okay. So kind of fun to uh, see the the connections there. Uh, so in college, you said Justin Cecil was running your programming. What and you obviously USAPL? You dabbled in gear, or, or what was training like back then? when you first learning to, to get into this, was it like a linear periodization standpoint or, or was it, you know, how often did you put on some sort of gear as we talked about something loose? Right. It was, I mean, it was single ply back then it was closed back shirts, single ply stuff. Um, I mean, if you're familiar with gear, it was, it, it was like basic floppy right. stuff that really didn't give a lot of carryover. I wish I would have taken more note on my, on our actual training programming and style i mean i was 20 years old i didn't realize how long i was going to be in this sport Mm -hmm. so but it was it was more of a linear style um we would get into our gear probably the last two months before a meet so most of our training was done you know to get stronger obviously raw and then um but every week when we were you know getting closer to a meet we would put our shirts on we would put our squat suit on and i mean that was really all we had back then okay what how did you feel and then you started getting all right and then you i'm gonna hold this question i want to hear the next part is so after ball state (laughs) You got into, you were kind of introduced to Dave Tate Westside. Tell me about Westside. How would you, all right. And for those that don't know Julia, they'll have to go scope you out on Instagram or something like that. You are not a very large woman. No. Like what's your, what are you, what do you weigh right now? You are a smaller figured woman. I am 5'3", about 132 pounds. All right. So in the, you know, 120s, 130s, what was it like going into Westside at that time? Uh, it was super intimidating. I mean, every single time I walked in there, it was intimidating. The good thing was the guys that trained there were awesome. Mm -hmm. There were some that just kind of kept to themselves, but everybody there was pretty welcoming. Um, this was back when it was, 
It was on Demarest Road, and it was literally in a strip plaza. You had like a 7-Eleven type joint next to it, a pizza place on the other side, and then West Side was in the middle with these blacked out windows. So it was like super sketchy. Right. But I mean, it's just as funny. Like, I mean, for me, I I I feel like I, it's part of a sin for me. I've actually never been to West Side. Being the love of gear lifting and the love of powerlifting, I've not made the trip over there. It's just never lined up for me. But um, right. I've I personally trained conjugate. I've read West Side book of you know methods and stuff like that, and love the mentality that they put out there, where it was it was cutthroat and you had to show up and put up the numbers, um, from my understanding. But and in, in knowing from what the stories of what it was, and I think they did a great job of painting that picture in the West Side Versus World documentary. Yeah. It would be something that you'd never expect a 130-pound female to go in there and train. So, uh, you know, what was training like there? Was it different for you? Did they give you any any slack? Did they give you any shit about being a 130-pound female going in there? <laughs> um, I wouldn't say they really, you know, kind of did the whole, you know, crap talking thing. Mm-hmm. But I would say that they, they didn't. They challenged me just as much, and I specifically remember one time training there, um, did a, a some squats, did some accessories. We were out in the parking lot dragging the sled, and then, th- again, this is dating me. This was back before I had ever pulled two plates, like 225, before I had ever pulled two plates, and Louie was like, well, come, by, come on back inside. We'll work on your, your technique, and I missed it, and I missed it, and I missed it, and finally, like, by the seventh or eighth time, I got it, so you could just – the the passion for him to make sure that you were going to get the weight no matter what was like he wasn't going to let me walk out of there without having you know pulled it so um they were just as helpful mm-hmm. um i mean they more had the rivalry against each other more so just because i was a guest kind of going out there a couple times a month but i trained with um typically trained with the other girls that were there at the time which was amy weisberger oh, and for those she, she's something else. Um, and uh, back then it was Karen Sizemore, who was one of their bigger female lifters. But she was, I mean, she was awesome. Um, so I became really close friends with those two women. Um, we would do our speed squats together, our bench work together. So they were, I believe, the only two females at the time that were really there consistently. So it was kind of nice to have that crew to train with. Yeah, it's awesome too. Like Amy... To, to side note, to talk about Amy real quick is for people that don't know, she is absolutely legendary in my eyes in the sport of power, geared powerlifting for what she did for so long, still is from my understanding. It's, um, I've, every time I met her at me, she was the nicest person to me and it was, it was cool to see someone and, and like yourself, not large female. So you, I mean, you look at the like Becca Swanson's, you're like, that lady can move some weight. And then, but like you watch Amy's progression over the years and the record after record after record. It's so, I love it. I soak that up. I'm like, this is amazing. Like she's one, like I want your autograph type people, but I'm not, I'm (laughs) I'm never the person to ask that. I can't do it in person. I'm the worst about it. Um, and that people like, I respect that so highly. Um, but, and what's cool is even at, and I love hearing this story from you that, and this would be good for anybody that's thinking about getting into strength sports, getting into powerlifting, geared powerlifting, and that is the barrier entry is there. You just have to seek out the help. Uh, you just have to help. At the most savage or whatever cool word you want to use now, a uh, place like a West Side, you're going in as a very small female and getting help and getting pushed and not just being thrown aside, which I've known of other gyms that that's happened at. 
But it's yep. gonna it's it's gonna happen at places. You're gonna happen to anyone. But to see that happening at Westside for you is awesome to hear. Uh, is that you? Can, it is not just this. Hey, if you mess up, you know you're thrown out the door, um, type thing. So uh, that's in your geared lifting days, or, or assuming you're getting into gear lifting. So take me through your yep. evolution of gear lifting. What were the? Or hang on. What were the best numbers you hit before going into gear? And then what did you hit? What were your best numbers lifting in powerlifting gear? Oh, gosh. I would say during those first USAPL days, I don't even really count that gear. I think I was squatting like 275, pulling about the same-ish. Um, bench was about 150-ish. Okay. Um, and then really evolutioned into, um, at the time, Ginny Phillips was making canvas suits. Uh, yep. And that was lot of what the training crew that I had in Buffalo used. So um, we would use like old squat suits, cut the straps off and use those as briefs and then have the, you know, the canvas suit on top. So over the course of the next, really, I would say 10 years, um, I think I hit my best numbers. Um, I hit my biggest squat in 2006 and that was a 463 squat um i pulled right around low fours um benched about 275 and then in 2015 i actually hit my best total i didn't squat as much so i squatted about four four thirty four thirty five but I pulled 424 and benched almost 300 so i think my best total was 1124 something mm-hmm. like that so yeah and that is at like one thirty-two. That one, I believe. Oh my gosh, um, it was either one twenty-three or one thirty-two. Yeah, so around there. I had never hit that ultimate like ten times body weight total, which was a big goal of mine. But um, yeah, one twenty-three and thirty-two were my weight classes. What? Um, and, and I think that shows that it took a decade of work in geared powerlifting to build to your largest total. Now, I, I honestly myself didn't give it anywhere close to that long. Um, I was only in the geared sport for maybe four to five years. And just – you. I think honestly I'll, you can't really train geared lifting by yourself very no. well. Uh, you know, trying to – Blaine Sumner is phenomenal. Uh, that dude's un, unreal. But I couldn't, I honestly, I, I have no shame in saying I couldn't do it. Um, you know, putting your shirt on and, and then getting it adjusted right and getting handoffs and then everything yep. that goes into to squatting with gear on and, and having a monolift, just hard to do by yourself. And that kind of is what led to my situation of kind of ending up getting out of the sport, um, finding yep. other passions and whatnot. But doing it for a, a decade, and I think that goes for any strength sports, is going to take maybe a decade worth of work to get to a, a very high level. Um, what mm-hmm. do you feel like were some of your biggest accomplishments in, in the geared lifting realm? Um, again, at that time, APF Senior Nationals was really the biggest meets that we had. So um, I won that two years in a row, which at the time winning an actual national meet, you know, meant That's a big deal. Um, back when Powerlifting USA magazine was out, they were the ones yes. that were doing the rankings. Yeah. So to like wait for it to come in the mail and flip through and to see your name. Um, I think uh, at 2006, at that time, the only lift that I didn't have number one was my bench. So I was, my bench was second, but I was ranked first in squat deadlift in total. So I would say overall, those are probably the things that I'm most proud of just because at that time it was, 
it, it was a big deal. We didn't have, you know, the, the uh, you know, as much as, the, as we have now with social media and all that kind of stuff. So uh, those, I would say, were probably my biggest accomplishments. What do you feel like you left out there? Did you, do you feel like you left anything on the table in the geared lifting world? Um, I would, I mean, I think you always feel like you do. Um, I, I, I benched 300 in the gym several times. I was never able to do it in a meet. So that's kind of one thing that you're like, uh, so I mean, there's actual lifts that I think I wanted to actually hit. Um, but I think overall, when I look back at my progression, um, 2007 and 2009, I had kids. So being able to come back from having kids and still hit some pretty decent numbers, um, I don't know if there's much more that I, I, I don't know if there's much more that I could say that I, awesome. you know, wish I would have done. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I like it, the way I asked that question cause I, myself, I bombed out of my last meet and never hit the numbers I wanted oh. to hit. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had a rough day that day. I just, it's just not my day. I have no excuse. It's just not my day, but it's one of those, like, I know I had to hit, I wanted to hit X, Y, Z. I still toyed the idea of throwing that gear back on to try to hit those numbers, but uh, hasn't happened yet. So let's talk training. How did you train? Obviously you trained at Westside some, so it might allude to a little bit of how you train, but did you train pretty much the same way over the course of the 10 years or what do you think you got the most out of, especially trying to train in powerlifting gear? Because I'm, I'm holding on to that because I, I have a glimmer of hope that geared lifting will come back. And mm -hmm. I think people are going to be like, man, how do we find this information? Because it's going to be so outdated by the time yeah. they try to find it. Yeah, um, you're right. I think the, the majority of my training was was what people would call West Side or conjugate. But I think those terms are typically used interchangeably. Um, we had our max effort days and our speed days. So if you look back at my training logs, it's pretty much a spitting image of of what those guys would do and what what I was taught from them. And um, so it was, you know, max effort lower, max effort upper, speed lower, speed upper. The I think looking back, um, I learned towards the latter end of my career that I, especially bench, I needed to get in my bench shirt just a little more often than most people. Um, it uh, Certainly squat suits and all that take practice, but I feel like the bench shirt is something that's really difficult. And um, so I would kind of train, you know, every other week with that leading up to a meet that, that helped me kind of feel a little bit more comfortable with the weight in my hands. Um, but it was pretty much like three week waves for, you know, dynamic work, deload three week waves, um, and started really typically meet prepping quote unquote, about 12 weeks out from a meet and just cycled it every three weeks. Now, here, here's a fun question. That just reminded me. I'm going to ask this one. I, I haven't asked this one yet, and this just sparked. What is your favorite and least favorite variation for max effort work in each lift? And oh like, there's some that I like, I hate and some that I absolutely love. So it's a, it's a fun one. Like I love using the giant camber bar for squats, even though it's the one that I probably suck at the most. But I love right. doing giant camber bar with a ton of heavy chain. Um, okay. Is that's an example for me that I love? Um, I, hmm, this is tough. <laughs> I would probably say that I love pulling for max effort work, pulling against bands or chains. Yeah. Um, that to me was, it's, I, I like the overload at the top. I like the feeling of, of really 
struggling to walk something heavy out at the top, even though there might only be 225 on the bar, those, you know, bands or chains can kick in super heavy at the top. Um, squat variations, I would say, um, I like the safety squat bar. I tend to, when it hits me, it hits me hard and I'll fail really fast. Um, my least favorite, I would probably say, um, we didn't do this a lot, but front squats, I, I could never do those ever again. And I would totally be okay with that. Um, and, um, yeah, I actually like, speaking of giant cambered bar, I actually used to do not necessarily as max effort work, but as a secondary exercise was, uh, um, uh, zerchers with it. Uh-huh. So like, so on the ground, cause the camber was so big that I could just get under it and do like sumo pulls right. with it in the hook of my elbow. I actually really enjoyed doing those from a, from a, like an accessory supplemental standpoint. Right. So Hey, heads up to all my, my power lifters. Guess what's getting programmed in the next three weeks. <laughs> Dead serious. I'm putting that in there as an accessory lift in the next couple of weeks. Uh, for sure. For sure. There that's going go. in there. Um, I like taking, I love taking those ideas and it, it, if you have, I tell everybody, if you have a why for why you're doing something like that, it, it, you can, you can put it in your programming and, um, there you go. That's a, that's a great supplemental lift that I have. I personally have never, I don't know if I've ever programmed Zerchers. I program a ton of front squats though. Uh, oh, and, yeah. and the- and Zerchers, Zerchers, I feel like have kind of lost their way a little bit and I don't, I'm not sure why uh, I feel like years ago we, we did them a little more often, um, I don't know if people just aren't, what's the word? Mentally tough enough. Mentally tough enough. Thank you. Or, or they or uh, they can lose the ego enough that, man, it's not that much weight on the bar. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And they are tough. I mean, it is can, can be tough on your elbows or if you got bicep issues, but um, they, they can be great as a lighter, you know, accessory work, yeah. um, especially if you want to train your upper back really well. That's where I've, I've used more front squats because I've, I've found a way that I can convince people that they don't hurt their their clavicles and shoulders as much as the zercher would in their biceps and, and so i am i'm letting them be soft is the way i guess i can say <laughs> i let them be a little soft um but we, we but that's the thing is like finding those accessory movements that if you, that if you enjoy them or we saw we did a phase with the powerlifters i our coach we saw a ton of maybe not weight on the bar improvements, but just their positioning improvement in their back squats. Yep. Um, it's something that you can't measure it if you're in a better position. You can you just have to exactly. to see it. But um, so you moved from geared lifting in 2015, you said, to now bodybuilding. Now that is <laughs> you're going from a objective numerical number to a subjective <laughs> sport. So yep. what spurred that idea? Um, so in two, I dabbled in it in 2013 and 14, um, kind of bounced back and forth in 2015, um, was I got a divorce and so I was training solo. So like you, it was one of those where I'm like, I can't train in gear anymore. It was physically impossible. Um, and at the time during that process, I was actually getting ready for a show. I kind of had this cycle of like do a meet in February or March and then like bodybuilding over the summer so that's what I would do in the the last few years so during that time I started training for another show and um and again just because I was training on my solo for the next three two three years after that it was just a the natural thing to do and that's when I started kind of going well if I can't train in gear I still like being strong so I started really working on my raw work as well but at the time I spent uh, two years just trying to pack on as much muscle as I 
can. So that was really the idea behind it was because I didn't have a choice. <laughs> so. so this is a conversation I've actually had with a lot of my lifters lately. And that is, and they've had that idea. And they, and I guess now it's the cool term. To, if you're doing anything over sets of 10, it's bodybuilding. Right. Um, and I'm like, no, bodybuilding is it's the diet. And then you train also. But right. from a powerlifting standpoint, or and let's say not the physique standpoint, a lot of my lifters have said like, "Oh, I want to do some bodybuilding." Do you feel like what are what are probably the most substantial changes you've made with your training versus not still doing max effort dynamic effort work and just upping more repetition effort work in your accessories? Because that's kind of something that always goes hand to hand. And I think the cool term now is power building that I'm not a big fan of. And I'm like, why don't you just be a power lifter and do more accessory work is the way that I look at it. So how you're, do you kind of split that apart? Yeah. I mean, and that's really what power building is, right? It's doing some heavier movements with a bunch of bodybuilding accessories. Um, so, one of the reasons why I wanted to take some time was because I felt that over the years of powerlifting, that even though I was, and, and you can attest to this, that when you're in gear, we do so much with gear that I think sometimes people forget to actually train their muscle groups, yeah. right? So we rely a lot on the gear because the gear is there to help us. Um, so I found that there were certain things that physique wise, my body was lacking. Mm -hmm. My back was big cause we had always done back work, but I lacked shoulders. I lacked arms. I lacked quads from being a wide stand squatter for so many years. So I took that time to really develop those weak areas as far as my, my physique went. So when I was training kind of that middle ground of like doing some bodybuilding stuff, but also wanting to be strong, um, it was basically what you said. It was probably moderate sets of squats, right, in the four to eight rep range um, with a decent secondary exercise that would complement it. And then the accessories were leg extensions, leg curls, you know, lunges, lunges till I couldn't lunge anymore. So leg presses, I did a ton of leg presses. Um, so... I mean, that's really what it was. It's taking the best of both worlds. Do you know, I could work on my technique fresh by squatting first, and then I would do all my accessory work and just hammer it hard. Yeah. Do you, so in the, you, you've competed in, I don't know how many bodybuilding type events or what, what specific were you doing? Were you doing figure, bikini or bodybuilding? I don't, I don't know specifically there. So I think I've done about a total of seven-ish shows. My very first show in 2013 was a figure show, um, just because at the time I didn't really know how my physique was going to pan out. Um, and then I was like, I got to wear heels. I'm not wearing heels anymore. So um, that's when I transitioned to, I was working with John Meadows at the time. And he was like, honestly, he's like, you have some really good, thick, dense muscle. He goes, I think you would do better in women's physique anyways. So um, we took the time to kind of, put on some muscle in certain areas that I needed it, but the density that I had built over the years did me much better in physique than it did in figure. Um, so, so that's all I've done since then. So, and then I, we kind of blew past the question. So what, what spurred your mindset and, and, and taught me that I've never had the mindset for that of switching from a objective sport to subjective. Is it something you always wanted to do or, it was kind of like you did kind of say, like you just kind of wanted to train for the sake of training, going through some life changes. But what made you okay with that versus maybe switching to just raw lifting at, at the time? I think because I had, 
I had never, it had never crossed my mind before. Being a powerlifter, I was always like, yeah, eat whatever you want. I don't care about abs. Like, you know, your typical powerlifter. And then it started to get to the point to where I, I started to pay more attention to my diet, not even in a strict manner, but just messing around with um, some ideas from a feel better and perform better standpoint. And then I started to see changes in my physique. And so then I was like, huh, okay. And it literally was one of those going, I've been powerlifting for 13 years now. I wanted to challenge myself with something different. And I, I, that's how I work. I work well under those types of circumstances, put me in a position that challenges me and let me, let me see if I can do this. If I end up hating it, cool. I don't ever have to do it again. Right. Um, but I found that it not only obviously challenged me physically and mentally, but it allowed me to be sort of a guinea pig in training and diet and figure out on a deeper level of how how my body works and so that way moving forward now I can manipulate when I need to put on muscle when I need to shed some body fat um, so it was really more of a challenge myself and learn more about my body type of, ex, of, ex, of experience okay. so. and and so do you feel that this is maybe a far-fetched question do you feel like a lot of strength athletes should do that should uh, should they go down the realm and if you not never step on stage should you should a strength athlete i'm even thinking like just for myself selfish question i don't care um it's my podcast <laughs> um, <laughs> should i or should should somebody that's a power lifter take some time in an off season and truly diet down with the intensity that it would be like if you were going to step on stage, but then not do the staging, like I don't have that passion right. at all. Right. Um, is there value I, in that? I, yeah. I, I think there is. Mm -hmm. And there obviously could be people that disagree with me. Here's my thought process. Okay. And I had just had a client who's, who is into Olympic lifting <laughs> and she wanted to switch gears and do some, you know, power building for a while and work on. And she literally, she said, I want to pretend like I'm getting on stage, but not really getting on stage. And I think the value in that is one. Um, and maybe, maybe not even being a hundred percent strict, like a bodybuilder. Maybe you go 85, 90%. And I guarantee for most powerlifters, 90% of the way is going to be pretty darn good. What I found the value in doing that was it allowed me to see, and maybe people don't care from a physique standpoint, but you can see where from your physique, what musculature might be lacking, mm -hmm. which again, if you don't care what it looks like, that's fine. But will that give you insight into your training of, shoot, if I have zero hamstring development, maybe I need to develop more hamstring. Maybe I need to do more hamstring work. Maybe I need better exercises. Maybe I, wow, maybe I'm not using my hamstrings when I squat. So can it help you understand your actual strength sport better just by seeing where you might be lacking from a physique standpoint, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, that was the value I found from it initially. And with clients that I train, I think it's helpful for them as well. Um, for, even if somebody wants to diet down, say, 15, 20 pounds, and even if they have want to put that weight back on, when you put weight back on, your everything is completely different. Your metabolism changes, your hormone, your hormones change, your your 
everything is different. So the body fat or any muscle that you may have lost along the way, what you put back on is going to be different than it was the first time. So it really truly does allow your body to go through these different phases, which you may find if you shed 20 pounds, 15 of it, 18 of it is body fat. Even if you put some back on, you still might be better off than you were previously moving forward into your original sport. Right with you. Absolutely. And, and that is true. Something that I've learned is the same idea is that if you are leaner, you have a better disposition of putting muscle on when you're putting any sort of weight back on versus exactly. if you're at a higher body fat percentage. Um, you know, if, yep. if people follow like Renaissance periodization, for example, they're such a big name, you know, they recommend a cut phase to start. Why? Because then when you're re-putting weight back on, it's, it's going to be better weight um, yep. than what yep. you had yep. on there. So, uh, you know, so you started doing this bodybuilding thing. What were, you mentioned kind of the biggest changes is obviously your accessory work and stuff like that. But did you, what, what did you, did you cut anything specifically completely out? I mean, did you cut out heavy squats or were you still squatting pretty heavy or, or, or how did that kind of change? And especially maybe how did you change closer to show? So that specifically that typically I was keeping all of my regular power lifts in mm -hmm. up until about six ish weeks before a show. So just the amount of um, one, we find that as you're getting closer to the show, you you're you're dieting so much that your body is in such a fatigue state. So to actually get under a bar and risk any type of injury is just not worth it at that point. Um, plus you loading up something like a leg press where there's less likelihood of injury, you're going to get more leg work than if you were to load up, you know, a squat, so to speak, because for some, especially if you're somebody who's strong in order to get a decent amount of leg work in, they're going to have to load that squat pretty, pretty heavy. Um, so about six weeks from a show, um, <clears throat> cut out squats, um, deadlifts definitely. At that point, bench press wasn't really all that important because for women, we really need more shoulders than we do chest. So a lot of my stuff was overhead pressing, dumbbell pressing, lateral raise. So plus we also find that because training and big exercises like squats and deadlifts do cause an inflammatory response in the body, you don't want to do that a couple of weeks out from a show. We right. want all the inflammation gone. We want to be able to, you know, not have any water, you know, retention or inflammation in the body. So that's another reason why it's important to drop that, you know, when you're getting close to the show. Do you think physique athletes need to train heavy? Yes. <laughs> I, I love do. it. <laughs> I do. Um, and I, I say this because I've, coached clients myself and I've seen other clients or other people, other women at shows. And I have seen those that can get really lean, right? And in the body, bodybuilding world, they call that conditioning, right? The conditioning of that person, you know, we, we saw muscle, you know, definition and striations. I've seen women who have no density to their muscle and imagine, um, I, man, it's so hard to describe it visually if you're not familiar with the sport. You can see um, lines, but there's no thickness to it. Yeah, I, so I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, so with like a lot of bikini, newer newer bikini and figure girls, um, they would be dieted down really well, but they had no 
actual <laughs> muscle underneath that stuff. And so the training heavy is what's going to, even if you don't want to be as big as a physique or a bodybuilder, he- training heavy gives you some density to the muscle, which is just going to provide more dimension and shape to your body. And that's what the judges ultimately want to see. Right. I'm a hundred percent right with you there. And I think that's going to be my new excuse is that I'm just, I've got very dense muscles. That's why <laughs> you can't see them very well is they're just, all I do is train density heavy all the time. Right, right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's great to hear you say, literally I asked the question, do they have to train heavy? And you're yes, no questions asked because it's, it's the things that the long careers, as we talk about the longevity, the lessons learned are the things that people need to hear more of. For example, uh, one of my other guests, I don't know if you know who Lauren Rutan is, um, mm-hmm. she's local here to Charlotte and had her on. And one of my favorite quotes is she was like, physique athletes need to train heavy straight up. And so it's cool to hear like the same things being echoed amongst other physique athletes. Yeah. Um, so you, you train, you did physique, um, and you're still dabbling, but then you mentioned you got into raw powerlifting. Um, talk about that mindset shift of now you're not holding the weight. It's not, it's not the same weight in your hands and the same weight on your back as you were when you're geared lifting, what sparked that? You kind of said life changes helped that, but why not the gear again? To be honest, part of it was the life changes and part of it was I didn't want to spend four hours in the gym anymore. Um, You know, I, at the time, so four-ish years ago, my kids were seven and eight. I, I, you don't have I didn't time. have time. <laughs> I didn't have the time to do four hour sessions. I mean, for people that don't know, like by the time you warm up and get your briefs on and like, I mean, squat sessions just take forever. Um, and that's if you actually do accessory work at the end of it. So, um, I just didn't want to spend that much time in the gym anymore. Um, I was enjoying having a little more time at home. I was, I was working, um, obviously, I was still working because I had to feed my family. So between balancing work and training, it just it just wasn't something that I was interested in, in doing again. And and even now, I, I I like going to the gym and being done in an hour and a half. Like I um, law, I don't know if it's because I'm getting old or what, but like I just it's every once in a while, like you, I'm like, oh, what if I got into gear? Just one more meet. But um, Christian and I talk about that because someday I will get him in gear. Um, yes. But when uh, he's beat up enough, he'll throw some breaks. Yeah. I, oh, he's getting there, I think. Uh, <laughs> but I just, I just, that was, that was really the biggest thing. Plus, again, it was at a point of going, okay, I've done geared powerlifting. I've done bodybuilding. I've never, other than maybe the very first few meets that I did way back when, never really done raw powerlifting. So let me challenge myself to see if this is something I can get better at. Super frustrating, super frustrating. So, um, but again, it was a learning experience for me to learn my body, to learn my strengths and weaknesses. How can I program better for myself, for my clients? Um, yeah. So have you, has your training, training changed? Do you still do the conjugate method for as a raw lifter? Um, I have, Mm -hmm. um, I would say probably, it's probably a mix now. So having some influence from Christian has helped because I never, all of my training prior with gear was just straight conjugate. Um, 
I knew how to train for my athletes for sports performance, but it was almost like I was missing that middle ground of like, how do I just be strong without all this stuff? Um, so some influence from him and some of the things that he's learned, and we've actually taken conjugate and some triphasic principles and some other linear principles and kind of blended them all together. Um, and uh, we had one really bad training cycle, and then we had a really good training cycle. So, Such is life. Yeah, but you know, but again, we tweaked it and we learned from it, and then the second time around, it worked really well for us and our our powerlifting team. So, um, so yeah, I, I think there's value in in different training styles, and as you know, everybody responds differently to different training styles. So, so what's been the most recent for you, a powerlifting meet or a show? Well, I was supposed to have a show on April 25th. What? Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was literally like hanging on by a thread. Um, I've been working with Ann Sheehan, who is a bodybuilder and fellow elite FTS teammate. And uh, she was like, hang on. She's like, I, you know, your show hasn't been canceled yet. And this is like April 1st when like everything was <laughs> shut down. I'm like, I'm telling you, it's going to be canceled. I just, can we just like, can we can eat I now? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much what it was. Um, and originally, they they had pushed it back a week, I think, thinking that things were going to clear up pretty quickly. Um, and then by mid-April, they were like, no, we're canceling it. So um, technically, I'm like in the middle. I'm still sort of eating about 85 to 90-ish percent. There's a show August 8th. Okay. We have no idea how things right. are going to pan out. I'm right with you. So that's why I'm like, part part of my brain is like, why would you go 110% if this thing might not even happen? But um, so that's why I'm kind of just like hanging in there. If it looks like things start to open up and, and shows start to happen, then I'll, I'll I'll go full full bore. Thankfully, it doesn't take me that long to get back in shape. So, uh, so then what was you did? A, what's your most recent raw meet? How did that go? Um, what did you hit that that meet? And uh, talks about, like, I just kind of want to get a touch on where you're at in raw powerlifting right now. Yeah, so the last raw meet we did was just not long ago. It was in December. Mm -hmm. um, I pretty much can only handle about one meet a year now. I feel like my body just, that's about what it can do. Um, I think I squatted right around three. I benched 190. And then I pulled three, three fifty. So, yeah. So I mean, it's it's one of those where uh, the struggles I've had in, in raw powerlifting have probably far surpassed almost bodybuilding and geared powerlifting. Um, part of it was just relearning my body not in gear, um, which was super frustrating, especially with squats. Like that's by far my 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 nemesis. So. So you were a geared powerlifter for a very long time, and now it's it's not completely gone, but it is right. by the, in all intents and purposes very, very, very low in terms of numbers compared to the yep. raw lifting resurgence right now. Which everybody has their different reasons for saying why it's blown up. But do you feel that gear will ever come back? I know I mentioned that I think yeah, there's a, a chance. And then what do you think it would take for that to happen? Part of me says. I, I don't, where we're at right now, I don't see it coming back. Um, however, I feel like a lot of our sports and things in life 
right? Everything was so far swung over here to all gear. It swung so far to all raw mm -hmm. that I think it's going to start. Trends tell us that it will start to swing back a little bit. Um, I think what it might take is, and here's the hard part, is because the geared lifters from our day and age are getting older. <laughs> so it's getting younger lifters around those older lifters and kind of starting a new generation, so to speak, um, of bringing some people up. Because if, if all the 40, 45, 50-year-olds are getting too old to compete anymore, then you're going to – it's going to struggle to come back around again. Um, so I think that's one thing that's going to help is having younger lifters find those geared lifters to really grab a hold of. The other thing that might happen is if you see – if these really strong raw guys decide to, you know, slap on some, you know, squat suit and and start competing, those popular raw guys might help bring some awareness um, to it. But again, that's going to take those guys to take the initiative to, you know, do some geared work. Yeah, I think that I think you're right on with the popularity thing, especially with social media today. It's so easily acceptable, accessible. I think that the other thing that I think that my conversations I've had with people is that if we see people that it is the, the popular lifter now, they keep wanting to set the bar higher and higher. Like, hey, if you yeah. squat 800 raw now and then you start having meets where you can't squat 800 raw, you're going to find ways to, oh, I've got to put on knee wraps. Oh, after yep. knee wraps, I can't do it. Now I'm going to put on some briefs to see if I can still do it. And then you might see a, a resurgence there. Um, I'm all right. for it. I think, and, and the argument that I have with people, it's a completely different sport. Uh, oh. If you've not done it, like you mentioned the bench shirt, the technicality of the bench shirt and being in it more. I compare it to people. I say it's as technical as doing a snatch in weightlifting. Um, yeah. And, and it's, if you see somebody that's really great in a shirt, you know that that's, that's a lot of technique work. It's not just all the shirt. It's, Yes, the shirt does help. We know that. I I can tell you that 100%. But you can't throw it on and just do more. It, it's yeah. and I tell people I'm like, "Look, you're already wearing a slingshot when you bench press." So <laughs> so why and not cut off shirt. <laughs> yeah. And then you then you do a now you do a double ply slingshot. I'm like, "Come on now." Um so we're getting closer to time. Uh actually, I here's one I wanted to ask you. Um to describe to people because I don't think people there's certain people that value it more than others. But what is, when you said Team Elite FTS, what is that? Wow. Um, that's a, that's team a big Elite, question. <laughs> yeah. And I'm here I am trying to sum up Dave's entire company. Um, team Elite FTS is live, learn, and pass on. It's over 20 years of athletes who are still current, athletes who have left us, coaches, current coaches, past coaches mentors, the people that Dave has trusted in to represent his his brand and his company to continue carrying this the sport of mostly the sport of powerlifting, but strength sports now in general, forward. And the best thing I can the thing that he always says is we will continue to give information away for free. And that's his biggest thing is that he he got information from when he was 13 years old and was brought under his wing by Louie and those guys and his former coaches. He goes, I pick business, his business mentors say, you know, Dave, you really need to, you know, charge, you know, charge for this. Info. He's like, I'm not doing it. Um, so team elite FTS is 
live, learn, and pass on our experiences together, individually and together as a group, to continue to help other people get better. And um, and that's been evident through the articles and the coaching logs and the training logs and the seminars and the everything that they, you know, that we continue to do. So I... I, I'm very fortunate and, and super blessed and humbled that I've been part of the company since 2005. Um, so to see it grow over the years has really, um, yeah, it's really incredible. And we really are a, a kind of a cool little family. Um, everybody supports everybody. Everybody refers people to each other's gyms that are across the country. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a little family. Awesome. Yeah. Because I know, like, obviously, Christian, uh, I remember when he actually got accepted onto as a team F- Elite FTS member. I think Elite FTS is, is there's more, if I listen to my lifters that are young, like the young kids nowadays, they don't, like, I, I, I can't tell you how many hours, and I mean hours, I've read <laughs> in articles and training logs on EliteFTS.com that my younger lifters don't do. I mean, I, I got paid in college. When I was in grad, when I was in college, really in grad school, when I'm working my GA hours, I would train at five o'clock. But my hours from literally two to five o'clock when I was in the office that I worked in, I, if they find out now, oh well, I got my degree. But I spent hours, hours reading training logs. I mean, that was what I did. I was good. Oh, it's bench day. What did all these people do for benching? You know, the days now, leading I have up. A question for you: uh-huh. Do a lot of your young lifters are there a lot that have never even heard of, and now maybe not so because they're around you and you probably refer them to that. But I see a lot of younger lifters coming up or who stop in our gym and they're like, I've never, I've never heard of you guys. I don't, I've never heard of elite FTS. I've never, and it's just one of those where, and again, and I don't know, I don't know where the disconnect is from that's happened over the years. If it's, if it is social media, I, if it's just that there's just so much information out there now that it's sort of become a little, a small portion of all of this other information, but um, it just makes me chuckle. I didn't know if you come across I would say that it definitely isn't as known as it used to be. I I mean, I guess it also, I mean, when I was in it, it was always, I was looking at geared powerlifting information. And I mean, and this is, it's not dating myself. I'm, I'm only 31, but when I was powerlifting in 2008, nine to 2013 2014 it really was you had super training had videos and they had just started doing videos it was before they ever had the podcast and that was like oh man super training dropped another video and oh and then when elite when you when they had the learn to train seminars and you get to see all that footage like it was when those there wasn't that much out there i think it is a a a problem quote-unquote due to the vast information on it. Now everybody just gets on Instagram and scrolls and reads what so-and-so posts on Instagram. You don't have, like, somebody's like, oh, do you keep your training log online? I'm like, what does that mean? You know, is what I'll hear, you know. It's like, no, you don't post it anywhere. It's like, I used to have my training log, the same thing posted on four different forums, you know, due to, oh, this one had, this was for Highland Games for me, and and I had, the other one was two different powerlifting ones, and there was a strongman one, and I just read, you read, that's where I would, find my information is reading hours yep. and hours of training logs. Um, yeah. So uh, it's something different. So uh, we're closing up on time. Uh, so I want to ask you a couple questions. And the first one, 
before the next ones are going to be more the quick light. I call them lightning round. I stole this from a couple other podcasts. Um, <laughs> they have nothing to do with the rest of this. But the last one, the last question, and you've kind of answered this throughout the, the podcast a little bit pretty well. And that is with everything that you know now, and I guess we'll, I guess we'll just say it. If with everything you know now, what would you do differently back then? And that could be at any point in your lifting career. Um, I would say two things. Uh, during those geared phases, I would, I would be more a little more balanced. Meaning, I did my accessory work. I was actually really good at doing accessory work, but just being a little more balanced of. Um, making sure that my raw technique was not always the same as my geared technique. Um, I had to fix a lot of bad habits, you know, coming out of gear. Um, but also I would say the biggest thing that I learned that I started to pay attention to was my nutrition and how much that was actually affecting my performance. I can't tell you how many times I would cut weight, make weight, and then refeed on crap and then not perform well. So um, really paying attention to what foods sit well with me. Um, proper, I mean, pre and post workout, like John Meadows introduced me just to the simple fact of like making sure that pre and post workout nutrition was super on point. Um, where again, 15 years ago, we didn't care about that kind of stuff. Um, so those are the two big things I would probably go back and, and fix if I had to. Okay, awesome. Well, that kind of wraps up the real meat of our discussion. So the lightning round questions are the fun ones that really don't respond to anything or re relate to this that much. And the first one, because I am a beer lover, what is your favorite beer? Oh, um, I'll have to Ugh, beer. I only drink what Christian buys. <laughs> and he's a, he's a whiskey, he's a bourbon guy. Okay, but then, he gets... do you, then do you have a favorite bourbon? So I do. Well, he buys, he drinks a lot of Woodford, which okay. I, I like. And then um, I've had uh, Three Roses, okay. which was one of my favorites. Well, so. I've, got, I've got a couple friends at the gym now that are big into bourbon. And if they listen to this, one of the guys I had on the podcast, they are ridiculous. Like they spend way too much money on bourbon. Um, it's ridiculous. But so I've learned a lot of by drinking free bourbon is what it's come down to. There so, you go. <laughs> uh, but okay. Uh, what is your favorite like go-to cheat meal it's got to be ice cream ice cream pizza pizza, pizza or ice cream any, for sure. any specifics there uh pizza we usually do sausage pepperoni ice cream i something that's got like cookie dough chunks or brownie chunks or all right yeah. So this is bringing out the, this brings out this question brings out the fat kid and everyone and I love it. <laughs> Especially they're all strength athletes. It's great. Um, now, so you said pizza and I gotta go on a little tangent. Has Christian ever told you about X Line's best pizza in town from Memphis? Yeah, we Good. actually went and ate there. Oh, so, all right, yeah. awesome, awesome. So that's obviously my family's restaurant. My brother runs it now yep. down there. So yep. hell yeah, that's awesome. It's spreading. It's we, spreading. we got to we got to sample the dessert pizzas that he was trying out oh before my, we left. Oh. Man, I had yeah. I had that s'mores pizza twice while I was there. I was there for a month. It's so good. I was there so for good. a month uh, working basically because my gym was shut down. He goes, "Hey, you want to come work?" I was like, "Yep, I'll be there in two days." So, um, <laughs> what has been your favorite competition you've ever done? Oh boy, um, favorite competition. I would probably say 
I'll go bodybuilding and powerlifting. I would probably say there's a, a show, a bodybuilding show here in Chicago called Wings of Strength. Mm-hmm. Um, that was probably my favorite bodybuilding show. Um, powerlifting, I'm probably going to have to go with uh, 2006 APF Senior Nationals was in Las Vegas. Um, and that was, a that was a pretty fun, that was a fun meet to do. Okay. And that kind of goes hand in hand with the next one. And that is, where's the favorite place you've ever traveled for a competition? So I've, I got lucky and I got to do uh, Highland games in the uh, country of Hungary, but we got to vacation in Italy afterwards. So obviously my okay. favorite place to go. Um, I just, you know, I think that it is good to obviously train and compete next close to home. It reduces variables. But Absolutely. traveling, it's an experience. Life is not about lifting. You're not going to make a lot of money doing this. Um, you might make money coaching people, but you're not going to make a lot of money lifting. So you got to enjoy the enjoy the trip as well. Do you have any specific memories there? So I did not compete, but in 2018, Christian did a meet in Asheville, North Carolina. Oh. And uh, we road tripped it from Memphis out there. And uh, really just like the town of Asheville, it was a nice little... Nice Holy, little place. Wait a minute. 2008? 18. 18. Okay. I was going to say 2008. Yeah. Wait a minute. 2018. Um, not far from me. And 2018. It had to be. Where was it at? Was it at Biltmore Fitness? No. No, it was. I, I don't know. I remember. I don't know where it was at. Okay. Uh, I'll have to go back and look. Uh, I know Joey Smith was running the meet, so I'm not sure who. Oh, then you're. I know. Man, do I know Joey Smith. <laughs> yeah, I've known Joey Smith a long time, yeah. too. <laughs> um, okay, there's a, there's a name. He's in Nebo, but... Um, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, all right, well, I think we're going to wrap it up there, Julia. Um, first, tell Christian I said hello. I, I chat with him mm-hmm. on and off through social media every once in a while, Good. but uh, I need to have more longer conversations with that guy, but... Um, thank you so much. This was wonderful. Uh, I feel like I've known you for way longer than this conversation is really gone. Uh, <laughs> right? But I really appreciate it's you taking the time. On. No, and, and this was great, and I'm, I'm going to be excited to really share this with people. And uh, I'll t- make sure that social media and stuff like that, I'll tag you and share it with you. And um, I'll let you know. I'll try to get it out probably tonight or tomorrow. Sounds good. Thanks, Justin. Appreciate thank you it. so much. Have a good day. Bye-bye.